those that are on the live stream. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with lots of good food and good fellowship. My name is Randy Trigger. If you don't recognize me, it's because my wife, Therese, and I are fairly new members here. I'm part of the teaching team, and they've done a great help to me in putting this message together. Back in 1970, Dodge built a muscle car and gave it the model name Challenger. In the 1980s, my friend Kurt bought a used model of this car. It's a bit different. What happened? Well, Chrysler didn't originally plan for this particular car to be sitting in a barn, not running. Its current state was the result of a bunch of stuff which boiled down to people not taking proper care of it. But Kurt had a plan and an idea. He bought the car to restore it. He poured money, time, sweat, and care into that car. This past year, he completed his work, and here is the result. It is really nice. It isn't as good as it was coming off the line, but it had regained its original purpose. Today is the second to the last message in this series titled, Epic Plan, Seeing God Through the Old Testament. Next week, Steve will wrap up this series with a message titled, Hope, which is also the first message of the Christmas series titled, The Season of Advent. We've been on a journey seeing that God did, in fact, have a plan to restore his relationship with us. He led Israel on a path and, read, and led many people to accomplish his purposes. Today's message is simply titled, Restored. The definition of restore from dictionary.com contains these options. To reproduce or reconstruct in the original state. To bring back to the state of health, soundness, or vigor. I want us to focus on this big idea for today. God is in the business of restoring that which is broken. Not only restoring it to usefulness, but a complete restoration to the original state. God's plan is to bring us back into a full, loving relationship with him. Think of that. We, like Adam and Eve, will walk with God in the garden. If I consider what it is to restore something, it seems that it could be broken into three parts. God is key in each of them to bring restoration to our relationship with him. Lost. Something was good, functional, useful, or had a purpose, and it has fallen out of that state. It could be a little or a lot, but it has lost something. Found. Someone finds it and sees its original value. They buy or redeem it. Then they develop a plan and a process or path to bring it back to its original state. Hurdles. These are the unforeseen obstacles that occur during the process. Today, we're going to take a look at another restoration project. It occurred approximately 500 years before Christ was born. As Nate explained last week, God's people were in exile. They had continually disobeyed God, did what they felt like, and worshipped foreign gods. In the midst of this continued rebellion, God had continually reminded them of the consequences and coaxed them to turn back to him. But they stubbornly refused and received the consequences of their behavior. They were exiled to Babylon. They were in an impossible situation. 
exiled in a foreign land under the power of foreign kings. Their homeland was occupied by others. Their city is protecting walls. And worst of all, the temple of the living God completely destroyed. In one word, they were lost. They had lost the very things that gave them an identity as God's chosen people. These were the people that God had called, nurtured, taught, protected, and guided. They were the people through whom God was going to fulfill his promise to bring reconciliation to all people. But here they were, lost. No power, no resources, no ability to find their way back to God's path for them. Not only were they lost, they were helpless to save themselves. The 1970 Challenger was in need of restoration because the owner had not taken proper care of it. It came with an owner's manual, which would have prescribed the proper care and maintenance, but that manual had been ignored. In a similar way, the Israelites had an instruction manual. Scripture. God had given them all the information that would have kept them in relationship with him and out of trouble with Babylon. But they ignored it and ended up exactly where God had warned them, exiled, lost. In ourselves, we are really no better at following uh, Scripture than the Israelites. We know the things that God says will draw us away from him and into trouble. But because of our sinful nature, we lack the ability to follow God's directions. But God knows, that, but God knows and understands that we are weak. In fact, at the beginning of the series, we learned that God had given instructions to Adam and Eve. Actually, it was one simple instruction. Eat of any tree except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But we also remember that God has a plan, and he is faithful in keeping it. His plan including having a place to reside with his chosen people, a place where they would come to offer him uh, uh, sacrifices, to worship him, uh, to celebrate times such as the Festival of Weeks or Passover, a place to dedicate their children. Originally, this place was a gathering, was a large tent called the Tabernacle. This tabernacle was designed by God and built by the Israelites. It moved with the Israelites while they wandered in the desert for 40 years. After God brought them into the Promised Land, and established Jerusalem, Solomon built a permanent home called the temple. It was also designed by God. This temple was beautiful. Everything overlaid with either gold or, or it was built solid silver or bronze. The draperies and the woodworkings were very ornate. Now both the tabernacle and the temple were gone as part of Israel's discipline. But God set a time for this discipline. Many people quote Jeremiah 29, 11, without understanding its proper context. It is actually part of a prophecy specifically concerning this time of discipline for the Israelites. I've added verse 10 to get the context. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God set a time of discipline to last 70 years. As that time elapsed, 
He put things into action to restore a temple for his people in Jerusalem. This plan comes into focus as we read the old books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We're going to mostly focus on the beginning of Nehemiah, but we need to look at a couple things in Ezra. Let's look at the first four verses of the first chapter of the book of Ezra. In the first year of, king, of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor, in whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Here we see God using Cyrus to bring his lost children back home. Cyrus was the founder of the Persian nation. He captured Babylon in 539 B.C., and in 538 B.C., he began ruling over Babylon. We see Cyrus commissioned the Jews to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. The Jewish people were given permission, supplies, and support. This is where we see confirmation that God has a plan. You might say that he called his shot. The prophet Isaiah wrote of Cyrus over a hundred years before Cyrus was ever king of the Persians, before Babylon ever conquered Jerusalem or sent the Jews into exile. His name, he named Cyrus as Judah's future deliverer in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill my purpose saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. While God is always completely ready to act, he is a God of wisdom. He knows that it would be useless to restore Israel if they did not have a changed heart. They needed to recognize that they had rebelled against God in doing as they desired instead of as God commanded. God's commands were, and always will be, for the good of his children, to help us, to keep us safe, to ensure that we stay very near to the one who loves us and desires the best for us. But God knows the human heart, that it's sinful. As Steve taught earlier in this series, all humans were born with a nature enslaved to sin. Simply put, we are not sinners because we sin, but rather we sin because we're sinners. God knew they had lost their way. So God in his love and wisdom gave his children the way for himself to be found in Deuteronomy chapter 4. It was directly after God had warned them of the very things that had brought them to being exiled and scattered, lost in a foreign land. And we can read it in verses 29 through 31. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him 
if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. The solution for Israel was to return to the Lord your God, to listen to him. This is the essence of repentance. It is to turn from doing evil to God. It is to acknowledge our wrong and to listen for his voice. You see, he has never lost you. You have lost your way to him. If that 1970 Challenger was like the car kit in the 1980 series Knight Rider, and it could think, it would think it was lost, but it still had an owner. The owner knew where it was located. In the same way, there is never a time, a place, or a situation in which God is not completely aware of you. Here, he graciously shows us the way for us to find our way back to a relationship with him. We people tend to have a problem in that we take God's blessings for granted. We begin to think that it is our goodness, our abilities, our hard work, or our rights that gives us good things. Sometimes God will take those very things away. He will grow silent or allow us to experience some of the pain of following our own path. He does it with absolute love and mercy, but he does allow it. He does it to discipline us, to help us to learn to follow him. He is the one and only one that we can truly trust. God's solution for the Israelites is exactly the same for each of us. When we have wandered from our walk with him, when we've chosen a path based on our desires instead of God's, we simply need to enact this solution. To begin restoration, acknowledge our sin, Return to the Lord our God. Listen for his voice. These are the first steps in restoration. The Israelites were right where God said they would be. And then they began to repent, to seek forgiveness, and to return to the Lord their God. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel had learned that God was gracious and merciful, but he was not to be fooled. He knew their hearts. When they were honest and their hearts were turned to him, he promised that he would act to bring them back to himself. We saw this in the reading of the prayer of Nehemiah earlier. Nehemiah 1, 8 and 9, I'll repeat here. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. This leads us to our first application question. What is in my past that I've got to get right with God? Sometimes it feels to us that we are distant from God or that we've wandered from our walk with him, or that we've done something that prevents us from calling out to him, or we've lost so many battles against an addiction, 
or a character issue like lying or gossiping, that we're convinced means that we are not redeemable. Nothing could be further from the truth. God tells us again and again throughout Scripture that if we call out to him, he will answer. You may argue with this truth, but look closely at that promise in Nehemiah 1.9. He promises that he will rescue you even if you are outcasts in the uttermost parts of heaven. Maybe it isn't some big sin issue. Perhaps you just feel separated from him, like you're wandering through life and you're wondering and struggling to find God's purpose. Pray to God. Ask him to reveal anything in your life that is an issue. Then listen. His Holy Spirit will work to reveal to you anything or area in your life that is out of his will for you. Perhaps you need to talk to a trusted brother or sister in Christ. Whatever it is, bring it back to God. Simply confess your sin. He tells those that trust in Christ that we're only a confession away from a complete cleansing of all unrighteousness, as we can see in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or perhaps you've never turned your life over to God. If you haven't, I encourage you to take just a few moments, consider his love and grace, to realize that God knows you are separated and he has done something about it, to bring restoration. We read in Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Throughout this series titled The Epic Plan, Knowing God Through the Old Testament, we've seen his love. We saw at the beginning that he created us to have a relationship with him. But Adam and Eve chose to rebel and do that which God had warned would bring separation and death. God in his justice fulfilled the warning and separation and death became part of our lives. This is the separation and alienation that these verses that are that is referred to in these verses. Then God in his love and mercy puts into action a plan to bring us back into that desired close relationship. The issue is that sin which is disobedience or rebellion from God's will requires a penalty, which is death, to be paid. Since each of us is born with a sinful heritage, it is impossible for us to pay for anyone else's sin, including our own. So God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live with us. He lived a perfect life without a single sin. He then allowed himself to be scourged, crucified, and to die to pay the penalty for all the sins of all the world for all time. That includes yours and mine. It costs us nothing and gives us a status as an adopted child of God beginning immediately. Jesus gave his life so that you could be with him for eternity. It is his blood which pays the penalty for our sinfulness and draws us back to himself. 
It is his resurrection which guarantees our victory over death so that we will rise with him. He is saying that he loves you right now. If you ask him, he will give you eternal life and then he'll give you the Holy Spirit to guide, strengthen, and help you. I'd like everyone to take just a moment now, close your eyes. Consider where you are. If you're a follower of Christ and you've done something that is not right, ask him for, your, for forgiveness and accept his cleansing. If you don't know Christ, call out to him. He loves you. Give him your sins. Give him your failures. Accept his love. You can open your eyes. If you'd like to discuss this further, please come and see me or someone else here at Lakeside. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can respond uh, by sending an email to respond at lbchapel.org, and we'll have someone reach out to you. You must never doubt your value to God or question his love for you. He loves you just as you are. There is nothing that you can do that will make him love you either more or less. He has given you a helper in the Holy Spirit to empower, teach, and accomplish this work. You've confessed your fault. So accept that God has fully cleansed and forgiven you and get back to living your life with and for him. The Israelites had wandered from God's path. They were scattered and lost. But in listening to the words of Scripture written for them, they had found a way of restoration, and God had brought them back onto his path. Cyrus chose a Jewish leader named Zerubbabel to lead Israel back to Jerusalem. Then God touched the hearts of over 40,000 Israelites, and in 538 B.C., they picked up everything and returned to Jerusalem for the restoration of the temple and the city. They faced many hurdles, their population was a fraction of the size before the exile. They had only the supplies returned to them from the pillage of the temple by the Babylonians. They had letters from Cyrus to the surrounding people to help and to supply additional resources, but the surrounding people were wary and did all that was in their power to slow and discourage them. In spite of all this, they managed to finish the temple around 515 B.C., the return of the Jews to the promised land and the rebuilding of the temple were critical to God's epic plan, for it was through the line of Judah that the promised Messiah would come, and it was to the temple in Jerusalem that he was to go. God, in his wisdom, had taken away all the things that gave the Jewish nation an identity and pride, except himself. In his time and in his way, he took an impossible situation and be began to restore them, so that his promised plan would be accomplished. But as is often the case, the path to accomplishing his will is not always as we expect or hope. Many times we encounter hurdles. Some are small. Some are seemingly impossible. This is certainly true for the Jewish people. They must have had high hopes and expectations when they set off for Jerusalem. They were heading home. They had orders from the king telling everyone to help them. 
They knew of the prophecies that the exile would be 70 years. Now was the time. I would have been excited and ready to conquer the world. But the path was much more arduous than they could have imagined. The hurdles they faced included local opposition, official letters back and forth between the kings, and continuing in their own sinful lives. But they did finish the restoration of the temple. This temple became known as the Temple of Zerubbabel. The temple was dedicated and they celebrated the Passover for the first time in decades. The sacrificial offerings restarted and the priests and Levites resumed their duties. But somewhere along the lines, some things got lost yet again. They fell back into old ways. They grew discouraged at the hurdles. They'd completed the temple, but the city was still without protecting walls. Without these walls, they did not have the security or the sanctity of Jerusalem. This brings us to our next application question. Is there some task or ministry God has called you to in which you are growing weary? That you seem to encounter hurdle after hurdle, difficulty after difficulty. Sometimes God leads us to start something. It could be large like a ministry or small like serving a neighbor or praying for a lost loved one. But hurdles arise. We face opposition both from outside and possibly from other brothers and sisters in Christ. We grow weary of waiting. We get overwhelmed with the task. In essence, we begin to take our eyes, turn our eyes onto the hurdles and take them off the one who can remove them or help us around them. Or be, We begin to believe that it is up to us alone. If there's something that you've grown weary in, or allowed to fall by the wayside, then learn from Nehemiah. He was a compatriot of Ezra, and he, and he was uh, Ezra, and served a later king of Persia named Artaxerxes. The book of Nehemiah begins with some travelers leaving Jerusalem and going to the city of Susa. This, is, this, this visit is about 90 years after Cyrus gave orders to rebuild the temple and Jerusalem. Is 67 years after the temple is rebuilt. One of the travelers is Nehemiah's brother. Let's read the first three verses of chapter 1 of Nehemiah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Nehemiah was a Jew that had risen to a trusted position of cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. These travelers informed Nehemiah that things are not good at all. The temple is complete, but the walls of the city are still broken down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The impact on Nehemiah is hard to overestimate. His reaction is recorded in verse 4 of chapter 1. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah is crushed by what he hears. He sat down and wept. He went into mourning for days and fasted. This is where we sometimes land and stay. We are expecting good news. Then we receive news that rocks our world. We sit, weep, mourn, and go into denial or many other things. Nehemiah stayed there for days. 
On February 24th, 2009, I was at home visiting with one of my friends. It was just the two of us, and we were having a nice visit when my cell phone rang. It was my sister, and the news was bad. My dad had suffered a heart attack, and they were rushing him to the hospital. She said she'd call back with more information and hung up. We started praying. Then in some way that I cannot explain, I knew that my dad was gone. I sat down on the floor in the kitchen and wept and prayed. A short time later, I got a call to tell me what I already knew, dad was gone. As I read of Nehemiah's reaction, I think of that day. I too remembered God and called out to him. The biggest comfort I had during that time was the knowledge that my dad had become a Christian and had been baptized the previous month. You see, I was 24 years old when I came to Christ, and one of the first things on my heart was to share Christ with him and my family. I wanted them all to find and follow Jesus, but I ran into hurdles they simply did not want to hear. I tried many things, witnessing, reasoning, and even arguing to the point of anger. I was young in the faith and did not realize that I could not change their heart. Only God, through his Holy Spirit, can touch a heart and open it. So I resolved to pray for them. There were times when I prayed hard every day and times when I grew discouraged, weary, and lapsed. But God never stopped. In his time and in his way, he called my dad. My dad heard his voice and answered. He was no longer lost. He was found, restored. I know where my next visit will dad, meeting with dad will be, and it will be glorious. As I said, Nehemiah remembered God and called out to him in the prayer that was read earlier. It is such a beautiful prayer. He worships God. He confesses not only his sins, but those of his nation. He asks God to help the Israelites finish the task first assigned by Cyrus to Zerubbabel. Nehemiah is asking God to fulfill God's plan. God will always answer that prayer. Prayer is really talking with God. It's about being open about our struggles, hopes, desires, fears, and any other thing. This, along with reading his word in the Bible, helps us. It's opening the owner's manual and having the creator help you understand what it is that you're reading. Kurt didn't magically understand all about the challenger and how to restore it. He had to read a bunch of manuals, talk to various experts, seek advice when he ran into unexpected hurdles. In the same manner, we can only know the path that we are to take if we ask the one and only one that knows. And the promise from God is that he will answer in his time and in his way. In Nehemiah's case, the answer came the following year. Let's read the first four verses of chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sickness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? 
when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah didn't realize that he was the answer to his own prayer. And he finds out in a really tough way, in a very tough spot, if he displeases the king, he could face death. So he simply tells the king the state of Jerusalem. The king responds in a way that Nehemiah could only dream. He asked Nehemiah, what are you requesting? Nehemiah did exactly the right thing. The very thing that each of us should do before we make a decision or a request. It says simply, so, he, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And then trusting that God will lead his word and the king's heart, Nehemiah told the king exactly what his request would be in verses 5 through 8. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah clearly lays out a simple plan, and God gives him the favor of the king. What a great reminder it is, the last part of verse 8, for the good hand of God was upon me. You can walk confidently in the thing that God has for you because if he has given it to you, then his hand will be upon you, as God assures us in Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. God's plan throughout this series has been clear. He is going to restore his relationship with his children because God is in the business of restoring that which is broken. He will accomplish it in his time and according to his plan. We finally are coming to the end of the section of the path recorded in Ezra and Nehemiah. It has started full of hope and expectation, gone around obstacles, been delayed and all but forgotten. But God will not abandon his plan because he will not be defeated. He has promised us the Savior and he will accomplish it. And he accomplishes it with his people, Scattered throughout these books of Ezra and Nehemiah are the names of people and lists of family groups. Most of these names are only listed once, and we have no idea who they were. We don't know their strengths, weaknesses, likes, joys, or any other single thing. Yet they are listed in God's holy word. These are God's people. Their names are recorded. They brought what they could with them and simply picked up and returned to their home. They simply obeyed. Over the years, I've learned to try to live my life with my hands extended and the palms facing up. It is my way of visualizing a truth. Every good and perfect gift is from God, and he wants me, he wants to impart mine to me. But if I'm holding on to the things, then I'll have a hard time accepting them. I'm far from completely successful, but it is a helpful way to remind myself when I get burdened with the cares and troubles of this world. In a similar way, these Jews opened up and allowed God to lead them. Perhaps it seems simple, but they gave up everything to go back to a city in destruction. 
without comforts or homes or jobs. They did it because God stirred their hearts and led them. In these two books, consider all the people involved. Get past the big actors like Cyrus, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Artaxerxes. We get to see God's people doing God's work and it is truly inspiring. You are here today or you, or you are listening to the live stream. In either case, take some time to realize that as a child of God, you are part of his plan. And when you are a follower of Christ, you are one of his people. This temple of Zerubbabel would bring Israel through the last few centuries before our Savior, Jesus Christ, came to this world. Just before Jesus came, Herod the Great ordered a massive rework done on the temple. It was to Herod's temple that Jesus came. And after Jesus died, we are told that the curtain in the temple that separated the very Holy of Holies from the common man was torn. The Holy of Holies was the place of the very presence of God. Only once a year was a priest allowed to go into this area, and then only after much preparation. Jesus broke the separation between God and each of us. He found us lost and broken. We now have the hope of a complete restoration to a relationship with our Heavenly Father, as we are told in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. As a new creation, our job is to do the work that he has given us. First and foremost is to believe in the one he sent. After that, it is to be salt and light to a dark world. As we continue, we will find a need for restoration on a regular basis. At these times, it will be good to review the application questions. What is in my past that I've got to get right with God? Is there some task or ministry God has called you to in which you are growing weary, that you seem to encounter hurdle after hurdle, difficulty after difficulty? Seek him and his answers. Confess any sin. Trust in his absolute forgiveness. Then continue on God's, plat, on God's path and bring his plan to as many others as we can. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning again, and we praise you and thank you so much that you found us. Father, you found us and you redeemed us, and you've helped us to follow your path, and we've become one of your people. Father, help us. Help us to live each day for you. Help us to wake up every morning and, and start anew with you. Father, when we wander from the path, help us to remember to, to read your word and to pray to you, and you will bring us back. We give this time, the rest of the service to you, Lord, as we worship you. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we pray all these things in your name, Jesus.